0: choosing a niche is not a death sentence and that's what i'm sure stops a lot of people that you talk to about choosing a niche they're like i I don't want to do this forever it's like you don't have to but as soon as you establish yourself as an expert in one space it's very easy to start moving into adjacent spaces
1: Hey Feasters, welcome to episode 10 of season 5 of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you improve your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there and had success and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. Josh Garofalo is a SaaS copywriter. And if you don't believe me, put SaaS copywriter in Google and he'll show up number one. He's built a reputation as being the best out there. He's worked with companies such as HubSpot, Hotjar, and Aweber to get them more leads in sales. He focuses in on customer research, positioning, and copywriting, obviously. But for developers and designers, consultants like you and I, he's a fierce supporter of choosing a niche and owning it. Now, yes, we had a whole season talking about niching down, but what I wanted to talk to Josh about was how he's flipped the marketing, the strategy that we normally get on its head and has zero strategy other than focusing in on his ideal client when they are about to buy. In this episode, we dive into how you can be at events where your customers are and have simple conversations with certain people. That turn into work we also dive into how you don't need to be doing some complex seo tactics to rank number one in google for your service if you only need a handful of clients to work with we also talk about what to do if you're just starting out and you want to niche down and how you could flip-flop the idea of marketing yourself into a more unconventional way and target only those that are close to the buying decision. And finally, how to be confident in your positioning and your process. You're going to want to grab a pen, a piece of paper, something to jot some notes down because this is a good one. So let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Feast the premium online coaching and community designed for developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers like you wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that is both profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get exclusive access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to expert for your services. That, together with the monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit-chat, and our Slack community, you'll have everything you need to build a business around the life of your dreams. If you're serious about not competing on price and having those clients that respect you and your expertise, then join Feast today. Head over to FeastCourse.com. If you use the code BUYING at checkout, you'll receive 15% off the annual membership price. Hey, Feasters, season five is all about selling your service and I'm excited today to have on the show, Josh Garofalo. Welcome, Josh. How's it going, Jason? Great. Glad to have you here. Josh is a SaaS copywriter. He's written for companies such as AWeber, HubSpot, Hotjar, just to name a few. Josh has been doing this full-time since 2015 and gone completely old school against the grain, if I may say so myself, of the whole online marketing frenzy we hear all about, which I'm really excited to hear and talk to you about, Josh, because It's selling your service and you went old school and you just basically, (laughs) you did it without doing ads, without doing all of that kind of online stuff we hear from the gurus all the time. So I'm really excited to dive into that with you a bit here. Josh, can you share a little bit with us about why you do what you do?
0: Yeah. So I got started in 2015 actually by accident so I was I was working at a SaaS startup, and while I was there, I was responsible for all things marketing because there was like five of us. So literally, marketing, copywriting, some product stuff, even talking to customers, whatever needs to be done, I did. I even hopped on some sales calls. And what I, what I found was uh, while I was there. I didn't like a lot of the work that I had to do, but I loved when I was tasked with, uh, you know, positioning the product, writing copy for the web pages, uh, writing emails, trying to go for sales. I really enjoyed that part. And I didn't even know that, uh, that that was a discipline in its own right. I thought it was just one of the small, one small thing that marketers did amongst a bunch of other things until I looked it up looked up what I was doing because I had to write copy for a web page and I wasn't really sure how to do that and I found copy hackers. Are you familiar with copy hackers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. sure. So I found yeah. uh I found Joanna Weeb and I found copy hackers and I was like, "Wow, I can literally make a living like a really good living doing this one thing that I like doing under this umbrella that's marketing." And once I found that, I started my website on the side, not even trying to start a business, just because I wanted to uh Know write about copywriting, and I mean, if you look at my site now, you'll see that I didn't get to too much writing because I landed clients right away. But uh, yeah, that's that's how that's how I was born. It was born out of uh, necessity. I realized I was in the wrong place. I was not born to be you know a full blown marketer. I had to I had to do this one thing really well.
1: Mm, yeah, and and I mean that's sort of how I fell into it too. It was just like I. Fell into loving the e-commerce space and everybody was running from that as a developer. They were like, oh, that's just a can (laughs) of worms, a Pandora's box that you're opening up. And I'm like, I don't know. I love it. So I get that. It's interesting, though, to hear. And you talked about like that tiny little piece and you didn't really know that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Like you could make money off of that. How did you unpack that a little bit more? I mean, you found copy hackers and obviously, you know, copy hackers and Joanna, I mean, they're they're a powerhouse, right? Right. Um, But how did you unpack
0: that little niche that you carved out for yourself? Do you mean specifically like the SaaS niche?
1: yeah yeah i mean i mean even before that but just like okay this copywriting thing is like an actual thing like it, i thought this was a bigger a smaller piece to the big puzzle mm-hmm. but then you know how, how was it where that you were like okay i well copy copywriters is like you know copy hackers is doing it right and they're obviously you know killing it maybe i can get a piece of that how did you create how did you think that it was going to be viable for yourself
0: yeah, so I had an epiphany that, uh, that followed uh, like a serious stroke of luck. So going back to copy hackers, she was having a little competition where the, I, I believe the blog post was about about pages and the person who left the most thoughtful comment on the topic would win a ticket to MicroConf where Joanna Wiebe was going to be speaking. So I left a comment. I won the competition. I went out to Las Vegas and uh, I met Joanna Wiebe there. And I just started talking to people as if I already had a copywriting business when I was at this conference because it was all—it's all SaaS startups basically at, at Microconf, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome! Like I, I definitely need that. Like we've got the product down, we just have no idea how to talk about it and how to sell it." And then I was like, "Wow, this really is a thing." And then Joanna continued to uh, to encourage me to, to run with it and told me that there's definitely a business here as long as I actually get started. And I literally started my website. I think a day after microconf, like as soon as I was done, I was like, I'm, I'm doing this thing. And, uh, again, at that point I was employed. So the goal was not a business at that point. It was just to, uh, share what I'm learning. And immediately it led to clients, uh, which is, which we can get into a side conversation if you want, but I'll warn you, it could go on a little while, go on for a little while because it's all about niching. That's that's what really did it for me. My blog posts that I wrote, I wrote two of them. They, they're not great. The main thing was it was coming from somebody who was saying they did this one thing for a very specific type of client. And that's, that's how it kicked off. And then obviously, the real proof was when people started emailing me and saying, hey, can you actually do this for us? Like, We'll pay you. And the rates that I was able to talk to them about were way more than I was making as a, as a startup marketer. So I was like, Yes, I can do this for you, and yeah, then I quit my job from there.
1: Yeah, and you know, I talk a lot about niching down. Uh, We had a whole season where we talked about that because for me, that's that was the difference maker as well. I mean, like yourself, I'm just one guy. Mm -hmm. I only need a a handful of clients every single month, and I do specific work for a specific kind of customer, and so. We could certainly unpack that. And I think that that's probably where a lot of your sales goes into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I signed up for your email list and it's definitely, I mean, the, the first sequence there, it's all about niching, right? Um, and we'll link that up in the show notes. Definitely go check that out. You can go to SwayCopy.com. Um, you can find it right there. We'll also link directly in the show notes. But in that sequence, you talked about... How and I love this scenario, love that email where you talked about you could either be an Apple or you can be Apple. (laughs) Yeah, can you kind of explain that for us here?
0: Yeah, so uh, basically, in that email, it's this whole idea that uh, if you're a generalist copywriter, your potential clients can find somebody who looks just like you probably down the street. I mean, if they're in a big city, they can probably literally find someone who looks just like you on their block. And so they're not going to wait until you're available. They're not going to pay you a lot of money. They're going to think about you as your supermarket apple. Like, I don't know about you, but when I go to the store, all the apples kind of taste the same to me. So I'm probably going to choose the one that's around the cheapest and and doesn't look rotten. That's pretty much my decision making criteria for apples, right? But then you have apple which is the brand and there's nothing else like it and people are passionate about it they will spend a ton of money for something that you know pc people will say is not even as functional as a as a pc machine but uh, people will pay a ton of money for it and they're passionate about it because it stands for something and it's it does one thing really really well they're focused they know exactly who their customer is and that's what it's like uh that's what it's like with me like the or any specialist yourself included if you're a specialist You stand for something. You stand out and people are willing to wait for you. I have no problem, you know, asking people to wait eight weeks until we can get started because I have work to do. I have no problem actually bringing it up on a sales call saying that I'm going to to cost a lot more than anybody else you're probably talking to right now. And they accept that. In fact, they almost welcome it because they see... That because I'm a specialist, because I'm able to confidently say you're going to have to wait, because I can confidently say you're going to have to pay more to work with me, that they're probably going to work with a the professional. They're probably going to work with somebody they don't need to micromanage, somebody that uh, is going to deliver results like they have for the companies they want to be like one day. So that's sort of where that comes down to. It's It's the whole argument about being a generalist, your typical store, Apple versus your specialist, which is Apple.
1: Yeah, and I love that. I mean, it's it's comes from the same space that i came from and we talked about this just briefly before we jumped on here was that like you know we talk a lot about the same things and you know i always use you know your general practitioner your your doctor Mm -hmm. versus like a brain surgeon right like when you have a problem especially in your nerve nervous system your brain your spine whatever it is you don't mind traveling across the country because you have that specific need Right. Whereas if you have a cold for a couple of days, eh, you're just gonna go to the doctor that's as close to you as possible, that takes your insurance, let's say, right here in the States. Right. So (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you niche down, you become that expert, you become that referable person. You're automatically positioning yourself as the expert. You're automatically positioning yourself as a as a professional that can deliver on the things that you could say you deliver on. Now, a lot of what I hear about too is when I when somebody starts to niche down, right? You talked about it in one of your in one of your emails, and I did the exercises, so I know, right? In one of your emails, you said, Hey, open up a browser window and search for this keyword. Where do I appear? Right. And now you you said SAS copywriter. Now that for me is a broad general term. I mean, there's a lot of people that are probably talking about that, right? But you ranked number one. (laughs) And I was just like, holy cow. Now, how do you make that happen? Even like once you decide on like a keyword, how did you make that happen? And you, I mean, you're so confident in that you're always going to be at the top or somewhere in the top couple, at least, that you put it right in your email. You say, hey, look, you could do this exercise C. This is what I do. So how do you, are you doing any SEO tactics, strategies, those kind of things? Like, how do you know that you're going to be right there?
0: Not really, to be honest. And I mean, if you look at my content strategy, it's pretty much absent. (laughs) Like I have, (laughs) I think I've, I've been in business for about four years and I think there's four or five blog posts on there and I don't think I've written one in two years. So it's nothing like that. I don't have a bunch of backlinks to my site and I'm not an SEO expert, but I would guess that it's because... For one, I chose my niche right away as a SaaS copywriter. So now there's plenty of people who are SaaS copywriters. But when I did it, it was a pretty novel thing. It's not something that people were calling themselves. So I did it very explicitly. So I guess, you know, it's in my title tags, my headline. And I talk about it naturally. I'm not trying to like keyword stuff. I don't even think that works anymore. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I can guess that is working as well is I know that when it comes to Google and correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but Dwell time is pretty important and click-through rates are pretty important because it shows Google that whatever result that person clicked on, it's probably relevant. It's probably doing the job. And I would guess that when you come to my site, because it is so focused on a very specific person, a very specific type of company and a very specific type of work. And I do a really good job of telling you, like, if this is not for you, like, get out of here. Like, we're not going to work together. You're going to waste your time here because of, because of that strong signal I imagine that the people who are looking for a SaaS copywriter, when they click on my site, they have a very hard time clicking away from it because it is exactly what they've looking what, what they're looking for. And I also after speaking to a lot of people who became clients, what brings them to my site, what causes them to search for something like a SaaS copywriter, is because they've gotten lost weeding through a whole bunch of generalist copywriter websites it's extremely hard for them to make a decision because they're looking at like 10 copywriters who all look the exact same. And in a fit of rage, they type in SaaS copywriter and then they find me and it's like, wow, he's worked with the companies that I want to be like. He only solves the types of problems that I have for companies like mine. And it's like, it's a done deal at that point, more or less.
1: Hmm. So you you basically, your content strategy isn't normal buyer's journey. Like I'm going to put a blog post out for this problem, hoping they find that they identify themselves with this problem. So now they search for this and I show up and then they search for the solution and I show up, right? That the whole awareness, consideration, decision-making stages, you just went for the decision-making stage.
0: Because because I'm, I'm a one, I'm a one person company. I don't need a thousand leads. Like I'll be transparent with you. My website right now gets between 20 and 50 visitors a day. That's it. I, get, I think last month I had seven or eight leads come in. Most people would be thinking like, oh my God, I've got to get a job. But I don't have that problem because those leads that come in are ready to work with me and they're ready to pay really good money. Like I typically only have one or two clients at a time right now. And that, that's all I need. And I mean, we, we can talk about this. I do have plans to start producing more content, but there's a reason that I didn't start with that and that I'm now just starting to think about that after four years in the business.
1: So what is that? What is that reason? Let's talk all about it. All
0: right, all right. So <laughs> if you put yourself in the shoes of the of the new freelancer, or the new consultant, what you'll find is that they have very low level of expertise. They don't have a lot of money. They are running out of time, like they have to they have to start making some money and they need to start building case studies and doing solid work asap, otherwise it's back to the job, right? So blogging to me that made no sense because I think we'll both agree that there is a ton of content. I don't care what space you're in. I mean, there might be some exceptions, but in most spaces, there's no shortage of content. There's no shortage of really good content. And worse, there's no shortage of really good content written by experts who people trust. And that last one is also really important because as a new freelancer, nobody is going to trust you. Unless like, I don't know, maybe you've maybe you had a job for 30 years and everyone already knows you, but that's not usually the case. So if nobody trusts mm-hmm. you, even if you're creating amazing content, You're still going to have a hard time getting people to read it and share it and talk about it because that expertise is a shortcut right if if uh rand fishkin uh publishes a post on seo i'm probably going to share it before i even read it because i know it's going to be good and when i read it i'm going to read it with confidence knowing that everything he's talking about is probably true i mean there might be some nuances some some things that are debatable but it's probably solid information now if I were to do that in my business in year one and I published the same type of thing that Rand Fishkin published, even if I could manage to get people to read it, probably I'm, I'm probably going to fail. Most people fail to get people to read their stuff. But let's say I get people to read it. They're going to question everything that I say. They're going to they're, there's no shortcut. I'm not the expert as far as they're concerned, right? So, Mm -hmm. that's that's why I'm flip-flopping it. I started out by doing really targeted work. So, it's not like I didn't produce any content. I left comment after comment after comment in like niche Facebook groups and Slack groups and things of that nature where I could answer someone's question and there'd be a whole audience of my peers and my... Potential customers um, reading my reading my answers and building a name for myself that led to doing really really good work for increasingly better clients like the Hubspots and now that I've done all that and I've helped you know freelancers and SaaS businesses over the over four years dozens probably hundreds of them not as many as you but like plenty right that uh, now if now if I make a call and I want to go on a podcast. I make a tweet and I have, you know, 14 podcasts lined up. If I were to write a blog post right now, I probably wouldn't have too much trouble getting people to share it or to read it and to uh, talk about like how awesome it is, right? So that's why I flip-flopped it. And that's why I think more freelancers and consultants should do that. Because I think so many people, they spend those early years just writing these super long blog posts that nobody ever reads and all that time, they could have been doing more targeted work and actually getting clients, making money, getting those case studies that lead to amazing content in their own right. So yeah, that's that's why I flip-flopped. I'm not sure if you did it the same way, but uh, that's, what, that's what worked for me.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy that you said all that. That's why I just let you go because that's how I looked at it, right? So, you know, not to dive too deep into it, but yeah, when I broke in... the WordPress space, I went straight to WooCommerce because I loved e-commerce. And now I went backwards though, because I was very much a generalist developer working on all types of different platforms, but e-commerce, right? Then I started looking at my clients and what they needed. And what they were looking for, and I found myself kind of just chasing my own tail because I'd work on Ruby on Rails projects for about six months, and go on custom PHP projects for three months, then go maybe go on a WooCommerce project for three months, back to Ruby, and it was just driving me insane. Right now, when I looked at it and I analyzed it, WooCommerce made sense because of the types of customers that. One, I wanted to serve and could help nicely. And two, what they really needed. They just wanted to be able to lock. They weren't people that were living in their website. They were more small, maybe brick and mortar, main street kind of businesses that wanted to put the wares online. And so they didn't want to have to relearn everything every single time. So I landed in WooCommerce. So I went into that WooCommerce, the, the WordPress space where I was an unknown and I worked backwards. I basically said, I am doing WooCommerce. I'm gonna contribute to conversations around WooCommerce. I did a regular podcast that was maybe monthly, like with another right. developer. And we just brought other people to talk geek on there. But I started to get known as the WooCommerce guy. And once that started happening, now, you know, nine, well, Seven years later, um, I'm essentially still doing that kind of stuff, but I did the same thing being a convert kit expert mm-hmm. and a drip expert, right? So I've become, I had a conversation on John, with Jonathan Stark on his podcast, and he said, You're a platform specialist. Like you target a specific platform and then you only talk to those people and you become known a lot faster. And so for me, that was. Yeah, you know, hearing your story, backstory there was like, I'm like, hey, this is like a brother from another mother here, <laughs> right? Like, cause it's like I'm like, okay. So I'm not the only one that thinks like this, right? Yep. And I've seen it happen, especially with other freelancers when they when it and it's a real mind mindset shift, right? Like you kind of really like, hey, I am essentially saying no to ninety percent of everything else out there, and I'm not gonna pay attention to that. And I'm only going to talk to these people Mm -hmm. and you basically become a big, bigger fish in a smaller pot. Exactly. Right.
0: Exactly. And, and the other thing that you said that I like is that, uh, clearly choosing a niche is not a death sentence. And that's what I'm sure stops a lot of people that you talk to about choosing a niche. They're like, "I, I don't want to do this forever. It's like, you don't have to, but as soon as you establish yourself as an expert in one space, it's very easy to start moving into like adjacent spaces like you have, right? I'm still a little bit mm-hmm. earlier in my journey, but I know that I'm not going to do exactly what I'm doing right now forever. Even if the market allowed that, like I would get bored. So, yeah, I'm definitely starting to like plot my path to the next things I'm going to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I came into the e- email marketing space and the behavior marketing space to add a service into my existing development services. Now that is actually more of my revenue than the development services at this point because it's more in demand, but it's I'm still known as that. I don't write emails. I don't build landing pages or any of that kind of stuff. I just basically build that foundation for people to then go ahead and sell more, convert more, those kind of things. So you could definitely add things on later on, maybe even completely shift to something else. Um, It's definitely not a death sentence. So I'm with you on that. Now, by working backwards, Right so you, people are closer to the buying decision when you when they encounter you because they know what they're looking for. How does that work for your sales? Obviously, you know, I think it would make it easier, mm-hmm. but how do you how do you track what your sales process look like, those kind of things?
0: Yeah, so it definitely makes things easier for sales. I mean, by the time someone reaches out to me, they're they're almost 100% sold at that point. If there's a sticking point, it's usually because they just don't have the budget or I'm speaking to the wrong person at the company, but uh, I don't take a lot of sales calls that don't result in work. So in terms of my sales process, it's, uh, it's actually not as efficient as I think a lot of other people's would be. And that's because I think efficiency gets born out of necessity. And because like I said, I'm dealing with few leads, but really, really good leads I just haven't had to automate a lot of it. It's it's totally doable for me to have someone reach out to me, look up their company, take a look at, you know, if they've raised money or what types of um, pricing plans they have and what types of customers they have, learn about their product a little bit, send them an email back that's very personalized, hop on a call and and go from there and and more or less start the consulting process process. Uh, right from that very first call, uh, which, which I can talk a little bit about because I think, I think that's a pretty key thing that I do differently than a lot of other people. It might have some things in common with a recent guest of yours, Blair ends, but mm-hmm. it's very much like flipping that, that power dynamic, uh, during, during a sales call. So I don't know if that's something you want to go into. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. one of the things that I do that I know a lot of other freelancers don't do, it's a little bit more common with consultants is, uh, They'll usually come to me saying, hey, Josh, we need a homepage and a product page and a pricing page. And I'll be like, okay, that's that's a good idea, but that might not be what you need. And so, I'm not afraid to, to question what it is they've come to me with. They've diagnosed their own problem. They've prescribed the solution. And the first thing I need to do as an expert is to say that might be the case, but I need to dig in. And so, I'll always start with a first phase that's research-based. And they need to be all in on that. Like There's no, there's no skipping that research phase. It has to happen. And what I do there is I may validate that what they've uh, said is is actually what they need. But what usually happens is I find that the thing they said they need is like maybe the fourth or fifth most important thing that I can do right now. And there's a whole bunch of other things that they need. And what that does is it does it does two things. For one, it obviously will increase my average deal size because I'm not just taking whatever it is they said they need and, and implementing it. Um, I, I'm able to suggest other things. And two, it actually, adds a lot of value to my clients. I'm not like making this stuff up. It's going to be based on research, whether that's quantifiable or qualifiable data, it's going to be based on the research. And the funny thing that happens is the more a client pays because they actually take on all that extra work that uh, that you had suggested, the more likely they are to come back for more because you're not just this guy who like they plug in and solve this one problem and forget about. You become a consultant, an expert, an ally. Um, so that's really important. And then the other thing that I do which is sort of a branch of this, is I, as soon as possible, get the client to start doing some work for me. So Blair Enns talks about this and he'll talk about how, you know, the, the, the typical the typical way that the sales process goes is they'll say, hey, you know, you're one of 10 people that we're considering. Submit an, an RFP and then we'll see if we can work together and we'll do some meetings and you give us some free ideas. As soon as possible, I try to say like, okay, so this is what you think you need. Start sending me some of the research, all the all the stuff that you've gathered that makes you think that this is what you need. Send me whatever customer research you've done, and what that does is, for one, it allows me to at least hint at some of the things that I might uncover during that research and diagnosis phase, so they see the value in it. And two, I have a hard time believing that most companies are able to do this for ten other companies. It'd become unsustainable. It'd be way too much work. So what happens is you know, the other copywriters and consultants that they were considering, they start to fade into the background because now they're doing all this work with me and we're going back and forth over email. You know, I might invite them into a Slack channel or something, or they might invite me one into one of theirs. They're sending me NDAs. It's like, like we're, we're already starting to work together a little bit, right? And then at that mm-hmm. point, it's it's less of a jump to say, okay, so now let's actually work together. Like, here's here's the contract, here's the terms, here's the, the amount of money it's going to cost. And so that's the other thing that I do during the sales process that I don't think too many freelancers are doing. Most are just saying like, you know, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it, right? And that's and that's the end of it. And as soon as you do that, you're just, you're just like an employee that they don't have to pay benefits to. You're not the expert, right? right.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I do something very similar too. How long did it take you to gain the confidence to say some of those things to clients? Like when they come with already their solution that they think is the solution, when was it that you said, okay, that's not how I work anymore and that's not what I'm going to, or maybe you did it from the start. How how did all that
0: basically come to fruition? Now? Yeah, so it definitely wasn't from the start. In uh, year one, I, am, I more or less got paid from two different clients and they were both on retainer, which I don't do anymore. And I actually, I don't like retainer work, but it was key because it was kind of like that steady paycheck. It was like weaning me off the paycheck. Right. It's funny. I had Leanna patch on yeah. too, and
1: she's a, Oh a yeah, I know. Writer, right. And, and she said the exact same thing. No more retainer work. And it's funny because for me, I love the retainer work and a lot of developers
0: like yeah. the retainer work. I don't know. I just thought I would go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 no. And (laughs) there is a debate there. Like I would never go ahead and tell someone like, don't do retainer work. It's, it's evil. If it's working for you, it's working for you. But, uh, for me that first year, it was all about the retainer work and doing more or less what I was told. And that was okay. Because my goal was to get my bank account to a certain size so that I could be more picky. And that to me is the key. That's when I was able to start pushing back. It was like, I don't need you to say yes to this project. I need you to say yes to this project if it's the project that I want to do because I know it's the project that needs to be done. So, you know, there's all types of like mindset courses and stuff like that. And maybe there's some use in those, but a a big part of confidence is literally just having enough money in the bank to be able to say no. And uh, that's why I always say like freelancers, the... The romantic ones anyways, they'll often like quit their job because they hate the nine to five, no money in the bank, no plans on where the next client is coming from. And, and to me, that's just insane because that's the, that's like the, that's a fast track to just having to say yes to every terrible project that comes your way. Whereas, uh, so yeah, it was after year one, I had enough money in the bank where I was just like, you know what, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to speak up. And the funny thing that happens is the more you say no, the more you object the more you're seen as the expert and the more people want to work with you and the more they're willing to pay. It's, it's a really funny dynamic and it's, I guess it just always works that way in life. Isn't it? Doesn't it? Like if you don't need something, there's a line of people ready to give it to you.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole, and like, I love human behavior and it's that whole exclusivity thing Mm -hmm. too. Like if you say no, then they're going to want more, right? They're going to want what's behind that velvet rope that you're not letting me through. Exactly. Um, I even had that on a sales call with two founders of a company where I was pushing back. I was saying, look, this is not what I do. I mean, they were talking about Shopify and some other things. And I was like, look, I'm not a Shopify expert. I'm not a developer. I don't do that stuff. And it's not what I work in. And the one guy was just like, okay, that's great. And then the other guy was like, well, wait a second but we like what i like what you're talking about don't listen <laughs> to him anymore <laughs> and i was just like this is crazy but uh yeah it's funny how that that works in that way now you said that you have basically like like last month or whatever, you had seven or eight leads come mm-hmm. in. Now, do you have any formal process of tracking the leads, staying in touch with them? Uh, or is it more of like, I, I have seven or eight and I can manage that in my own mind?
0: I do use uh sales flare. I mean, I'm not, it's a CRM. I'm not like a, a power user of it. But the one thing that I really like about it is it makes it really, really easy to keep it up to date, which is, I think the shortfall for almost every CRM out. There is it's easy for them to get outdated and useless. Basically, my sales funnel is a lead, so that would be someone that uh, has come in, but that I haven't actually reached out to. Next would be contacted. After that, it's qualified. So we've had some sort of conversation that would lead to me believing that they have enough money uh, to actually to actually get the work done. Or in the in the odd case, like I don't actually have to do that. So if like a HubSpot reaches out to me, I know that they have the money, they're qualified. It's just a matter of whether or not this is going to work. And then after that, it's just, you know, proposal paid one loss. It's, it's pretty basic. Like my, I would not be able to create a sales, uh, sales course out of my sales process because it really is bare bones. And I mean, if, if I get to the point where I, you know, if I were to create something like a podcast or if I were to create more content and I had a, like dozens or hundreds of leads coming in every single month, then I would have to automate it. But right now it's, it's pretty easy for me to just keep it light. And and that's fine. That's that's sort of my goal. Like my business model isn't to get more clients, more leads. It's to increasingly be able to charge more because I'm getting really, really good at really important work. So it's I'm trying to keep it simple for as long as possible.
1: And keeping it simple is the best way to mm-hmm. do it. Like once you overcomplicate things. And I mean, I tell this of my clients, I tell this of Coaching clients and stuff like yes, the, sh- the shiny tools and stuff is great, but you don't need to have it complicated. Much like yourself, my sales process is very similar. I happen to use pri- pipe PipeDrive. Yeah, that's a great one, but very same. Like it's just lead comes in. There's some qualifying, like basically pipe there that I just say, okay, are they qualified or not? We in conversation, so to speak, and then next to propol- ready for proposal, win hmm. loss. Like it's. Pretty simple, and that's what it's all about, really. Is because if they've qualified themselves, and because we have that selected niche that we're focusing in on, I mean, the qualification process is even easier. Like as a generalist, it's like, okay, do they have a budget that that they're willing to pay me? But then, how do they? Are they going to respect me on the back end of that? I don't know, Right. right? But. If you've selected your ideal client up front, you could kind of know whether or not they're going to respect you or not. Because during that qualifying process, if they uh, uh, like, I just have a form, like fill out this Mm -hmm. form. right? If they fill out that form with some thought and it doesn't take much, I always tell you, it's like five or seven minutes. Like if you've even thought about your project, it should be quick. Right. Right. But there are people that I have that fill out that form with like na na na, and they just want to get on the call. I'm like, all right, you're not respecting the process here. So like, it's it's funny. Like you could just put these filters up in place once you know who you get to talk to and who you want to talk to, and then just push away the rest. And it makes this whole sales process so much simpler. Exactly. So the one thing that I really want to talk into talk about before before we jet here is. The idea of referrals, Mm -hmm. right? Now, as a freelancer, word of mouth is always the number one lead generation tactic. You know, it's where people, but people don't have any sort of process around it to make it more predictable, make it, you know, essentially like you know that you're gonna get a couple of word of mouth referrals over a month, Mm -hmm. right? I have my own little strategy with that. And I think yours aligns a little bit with it, but can you share a little bit more about your idea of like, Hey, look uh, when I talk to other people in different niches about just anything, make a relationship with them, then they are going to refer me work. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
0: Yeah. So definitely the foundation of this is you have to be someone who has specialized in something. If you're a generalist, everyone is your competitor and everyone is going to see you as a competitor. So with that out of out of the way, the the main way that I think about it is the specialists that are sort of in my in my orbit that are all doing things that relate to what I do that but don't actually compete with what I do. I see their businesses like almost as an extension of mine. So I am actively trying to build a few people's blogging businesses right now. Um, My friend, Joel Kletke, who we've done some work together, including HubSpot. He started case study buddy. So that's like a, a case study business. And I'm actively looking for opportunities to build his business so that when I'm talking to a client, if I see case studies as a weak point, I'm immediately working really hard to get that person to work with case study buddy. Same with other things like white papers. So And now you with web development, right? I'm actually going to work. to build your business and what that does is it just i mean this is like you said uh human behavior human psychology it's just it's basic human psychology that if you help other people good people want to help you back like i I wish i had like a crazy like system that i could box up into like a little course or something that but like it's i'm not that sophisticated when it comes to this stuff so that that's what it is it's i'm because I'm very confident in the little thing that I do. And I know that I'm never going to touch these other things that these people are doing. I happily help them build their businesses and they happily help me build mine. It's really that simple. And I think I I tweeted about this uh, recently. And, you know, those rare moments where you have some clarity of thought, where I I said, I think the whole secret to this whole thing is to just specialize so that you get invited into the right neighborhood and then do your best to be a damn good neighbor. That's really what it is. That's how I would sum up my my referral strategy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect, perfect way to put position yep. it too, for sure. So what's next? What For the next six, 12 months, what, what's next for you?
0: Yeah, so I, I hinted a little bit at uh, how I know I can't do exactly what I'm doing the way that I'm doing it forever and that I'm starting to think about where I might go next. And I mean, it's a little bit early, so I'm hesitant to say this is definitely going to happen. But what I found is that a lot of my clients come to me without having done some of the really important work that needs to happen before all the amazing messaging happens. So, I mean, if, if you come to me with a poor position, you have a great product, but you're poorly positioned. There's only so much that I can do with that. And what I end up doing is I kind of roll positioning into my my research and my copywriting work. And positioning is in itself a very valuable service. There are people who charge a lot of money to do that research and position products So that's that's a place that I'm looking to move into, like more intentionally, not just rolling it into what I already do, but to say, like, this is kind of where we start. And the other thing is the best copy always comes from like customer feedback and testimonials and speaking to customers. And most Mm -hmm. of my clients, even the companies that you think would have this in place, don't actually have a systematic way of uh, of consistently taking that feedback in and getting it to the right people. So that's another thing I may be looking at doing is jumping in early and sort of, uh, this would be more consulting, not implementation, but showing them, the type of feedback they need to be collecting and collecting on an ongoing basis and who it needs to be routed to and what, the, what those people need to look out for in those types of feedback. So whether that's like NPS, testimonials, emails, you know, in-app surveys, whatever it may be, just so that foundation is really there. You've got you know consistent customer feedback coming in versus a snapshot of when you decide to work with me. And, and then you can kind of roll all that into positioning work. And then once you have that, you can turn that into like a, a messaging framework. And from there, copy comes. So I'm starting to, uh, to start mm. to, to think a little bit more about the things that come before where I typically come in so that I can do way better work on, on the copy end. Mm. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And I got a couple of thoughts that we'll talk about after yeah. after we press stop here. But uh, for sure, I mean, uh, that definitely have some opportunities there that I think uh, we could probably work together on. But yeah, I mean, this, this was awesome. I want to be mindful of your time. Where can folks reach out and uh, say thanks?
0: Yeah, so you can find me at swaycopy.com. Otherwise, feel free to add me on Twitter, Facebook. I actually have a Facebook profile. I don't think you're supposed to do this, but I have one just for like business related contacts. So you can add me on there. We can talk business or whatever else. It's kind of where I get a little bit closer with, with some of the people uh, in, my, in my circles without having to subject them to like my grandma and, <laughs> and, and all that, right? So uh, yeah, yeah. Feel free to find me Twitter, Facebook, swaycopy.com. You'll find that, uh, that free course that you're talking about uh, over there
1: yeah and definitely get in that free course i mean it's definitely it's it's an easy read quick read and uh you get to get a lot of thoughts and and practical advice in there so definitely jump on that and we'll i'll link directly in the show notes there josh thanks for your time today and your insights uh we'll have to do it again for Mm -hmm. sure yeah let's do it for sure thanks awesome and for everybody listening till next time it's your time to live in the feast to say, I love the strategy of targeting a specific customer who knows exactly the solution that they need and build your marketing off of that. It really does simplify everything down into something that the customer is already sold on. You don't have to sell them on anything. They know the solution. And if that's what you provide, write about it. Next week, we are wrapping up the season with Adam Pierno author of specific as we dive into how to understand and what motivates your clients to actually buy from you. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast.